This week's episode of the Chopping Wooded Side podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy Hooker, and this is my loyal accomplice, Tom Wupker. Good evening, everyone. Hey, Tom, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing did you well. Think, did you think I was going to use uh, a quote from uh, like an episode? Yeah, I was like, waiting for your catchy Twin Peaks uh, intro. You didn't give me one this week. What happened? I'm, I'm pulling a David Lynch. I'm going for the unexpected. You expected it, and I, I, I went left. I veered. Oh, I, you're yeah. not giving us what we want. I see what you're Correct, saying. Well, yes. you're an artist. You're, you've achieved master status, so I give you that, sir. Thank you, sir. Well done, much. sir. Not pleasing me. <laughs> or the audience. <laughs> well, we are going to do something pleasing this week, I hope. Uh, the audience has seen the episode five, because that's what we're discussing, or maybe not, and they just want to be crazy and listen to this podcast before they watch it but i would this is full of spoilers so we're going to go into episode five um i thought it was a fantastic peaksian episode where they really i feel like lynch has found uh, the twin peaks rhythm in this one it incorporated you know a lot of twin peaks uh, characters introduced a lot that we haven't seen before but made it felt like the old episode or the old season uh you know in in certain ways and then it also had one of my favorite endings I've, I've seen in a long time of any Twin Peaks episodes, which I don't know if anybody else agrees with me on this, but I felt really profoundly moved by that that last shot. Um, and then the pseudo-Angelo music over it, which was not. It was by Johnny Jewell. But I thought that was a fantastic ending. And I always go by the theory, the McKee theory, that wow, I'm in the end. And uh, that's what it certainly did for me this episode. What do you think? Well, no, it was it was unexpected because about you know, three quarters of the way through, we had that scene at the roadhouse and the previous episode, yeah, we thought it was going to end, but they t- didn't give us what we expected. Right. So yeah. there was, there was that added bonus. And I agree with you. Um, there was a, a poignancy to that scene um, with Cooper at the statue and that great, you know, music in the, in the background, which I agree is, is very Angelo esque, but not Angelo. And um, it felt I, like I loved... the end of a movie. It felt like the end of a Lynch movie, yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, this one, you know, the first two, the first two uh, episodes, um, um, there's actually, you know, it's a difference. I actually have Showtime and I have Hulu, and um, I've watched them on both. And it's interesting because on Hulu, um, they, they break them up into the parts, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Um, but on Showtime, when they aired uh, the first two episodes and three and four, they, they're in like two-hour chunks. So the first episode oh, actually... Man ends Wish I'd seen that way. with the giant it's it's kind of a callback to that first scene with the giant and cooper or question marks as he's listed in the credits but you know we know him as the giant and it's just him kind of looking at that phonograph and it, and it cuts to the phonograph and the credits roll and then episode two starts right with bill hastings in jail but um it works so much better um combined in my opinion so there wasn't a roadhouse scene in between one and two, but there was at the end of two, at the end of three, at the end of four. And then when we had that uh, scene at the Roadhouse, which in my opinion, I am not a music aficionado. You are much more wired in, tapped into the music scene. But I loved that that instrumental, that rocking instru- instrumental with the little Lynch, right, on the lead guitar? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, Riley Lynch. It was very, it was from the Lynch gene pool. That's why you liked it, because it came straight, and that's a Lynch... Uh, inspired Lynch genetically created uh, you know riff that uh, played well with the scene for sure yeah it reminded me a lot of the um, sax solo from Bill Pullman in Lost Highway I mean obviously there was a sax really in this it just kind of felt it had that beat um, it just kind of and the, and the at the end of that scene there's the strobe lights you know and, the, and he pans down and then he transitions to a new scene I just I got that kind of vibe and plus in that scene, I know we're kind of jumping right into the middle of it or whatever, but we were introduced to uh, Richard Horn, a.k.a. Little Dicky Horn. Little um, Dicky Horn. Yeah, who, who was definitely, um, you know, a very interesting character. It was a very interesting introduction to him. 
um, and how he reacted when uh, one of the girls sat next to him. But um, I- I'm getting off pure in, in, evil in, incarnate, but also a very juvenile evil incarnate. Yeah. And you can tell. I like the way he flicked a cigarette, and you know he really did have an Audrey flair to him. And Doesn't the way it? he was very uh, you know entitled and arrogant. He seemed like he was Audrey's kid, or he could. I mean, he also had a little Jerry in him too. He you looks like Jerry, but, you know, it's, eyes, but uh, you know, it's interesting is that, you know, Audrey or Sherilyn Fenn, but, you know, the character that she plays, Audrey, you know, she has a like a mole on her, like, I think it's her left eye. It's just a beauty mark. The, it's a beauty mark. Oh, is that what they're called nowadays? <laughs> beauty mark. Thank you. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm just so out of touch with, with everything. Okay, beauty mark. Well, he has, um, I, I don't think it's a beauty mark, but it looks like it's some kind of mole or whatever in the same spot. It's not exactly the Those same. Those are genetic, actually. Moles like that, they can't so be So that, I mean, I'm not, I don't think Lynch was looking at, you know, headshots of like, I need a, I need a beauty mark, I need a mole or whatever. But um, it is interesting to make that kind of correlation. Well, he um, was terrifying in a way, but he was also, you know, just idiotic. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like the misogyny that went on in there. Like I was always, I was counting the seconds wondering why the women uh, friends weren't going to jump in. It was like, I think it was like 11 seconds or something <laughs> before they said something. But, uh, you know, I did love the, you know, I'll, I'll, I will laugh when I fuck you. I thought was a really great line. And he gave a really fantastic, tr- terrifying sneer that uh, he played well in that scene. I liked it. So if you had to put money down on who is, you know, his, you know, his parent, it's got to be Audrey, I think, because Audrey is a key character, and everyone wants to see her. And this is a good plot angle to weave her weave her into the story, is to have a wayward son. It's true. I, I agree. I don't. I mean, I, I. I mean, I don't know, but I would. I would lay money on, on Audrey just because of that. But Jerry's I don't. Done so many drugs. He's burned out his sperm a long time ago. His sperm is definitely. They're not. <laughs> he's firing blanks. Well, so. especially now that he's uh, he's turned into like you know a like a pothead. stoner. Yeah, they're just yeah. these little slow stone sperm spermazoa. So <laughs> put my money on Audrey. Uh, but I don't think I don't. I agree, but I don't. I don't think he is the progeny or you know the you know the offspring of. Justice Jack Wheeler and Audrey's moment of bliss in his jet in episode oh, whatever that remind was. Remind me of that storyline. Well, I mean, too. she was a virgin, right? And she had sex with him, and you know, he's he's roughly, you know, I would say like, you know, early to mid twenties, six years old. Yeah, but um, so I don't know who the hell knows, but it very well could be. But I do think he looks like Jerry Horn actually more than than Audrey. But um, well, do you want to talk I, about Dougie? Like, what else do you want to talk about? Or in this? Well, there's the so much in this episode. Kind of... I mean, well, to get back to your point with it, the ending, you know, we'll we'll actually start like the Black Lodge. We'll go in reverse. I think we talked about that earlier, but we tend I, to do that. I wanted to uh, just uh, our thing. Uh, th- just say that the end. I agree with you in the ending. It was it was different, and there was a poignancy to that. It was actually like in this in this episode is where Cooper actually uh, cried. Dougie Cooper cried. Yeah. We going, saw little Sonny Jim. I was moved by that as well. Yeah. I feel like the heart in Cooper, he wants to break out of that shell he's in. And seeing right. like that statue, it's like he's looking for clues and he's getting, you know, hearing agent and case files and he's he's waking up slowly. I love the call, the scene where he in the in the elevator where he nabs that coffee and just drinks it like a baby drinking a bottle. And uh, the reaction of the his, the guy next to him, like, damn, damn fine Joe, huh? I'm like, damn good Joe, huh, Dougie? Right. Yeah. That was just made me laugh, and it was so fantastic. I think that was a great callback and just a beautiful way to see him slowly, you know, wake up as he, you know, eats pancakes and puts ties on his head and drinks coffee and all this other stuff. is It's good. Well, um, what do you yeah. think about, um, like, Dougie now? We're getting into the Dougie storyline more. Um, and he now has a you know a place of business where he works. It's the Lucky Seven Insurance Company. Um, I don't think this is just a a one off. I think we're going to spend at least a little bit of time here. There was that interesting moment where they they have that meeting and we're introduced to the Tom Sizemore character. Good to see him back after uh, back many years, after uh, years off yeah. the radar. But he um, Dougie Cooper saw or there was this little flash of green over Sizemore's face when he was you know, giving his like you know presentation over some like uh, claim or whatever and Dougie Coop says you know you're lying or he's lying doesn't he say he's lying he's lying yeah yeah he's, he's lying and it was detector. it wasn't it wasn't you know Dougie speak it was that was agent Cooper I mean that was like 
You know, the right, intonation. Bullshit, very, bullshit detector going off. He's right. still got that. He's still got the agent within him. And then and he's he got went, superpowers to a certain degree. He's lucky as hell. So he's lurking for a lucky seven insurance company. He's struck it rich with four hundred and whatever thousand dollars he he won at the casino. So he's got some sort of supernatural gift that has come out with him, I believe, uh, from the lodge. Well, do you think it's something within him, like some supernatural gift? Because um, maybe the he's lying thing, but with the little flash, the little emerald flash or whatever color, they they kind of did a little visual flare right. when he noticed it. Yeah. And so I feel like that's maybe you know harkens back to the you know, episode three or four, or whatever it was, when he was in the casino and seeing the little like icon emojis of the black lodge above every with a f- little flame above every casino slot machine that was about to pay off. So I think he's got something going on in terms of uh, superpowers, and then also da- Dale Cooper's superpowers as a regular uh, human being but also as an exemplary FBI agent is coming to life so those two could be powerful weapons for Coop if he ever were to wake up right I just think uh, and I agree with you but I just think there's uh, I hope he does there's I hope he does right soon because it's been like what two and a half episodes now where we're into full Dougie mode but um, just to to add on to that um, there seems to be something going on with the fact that he is seeing those, you know, black lodge or curtain emojis, as you say, and this little flash of green or whatever, like something, whether it's within him or if it's someone, Mike or the one, our man from the black lodge or whatever. um, I think it's, it's not random. I think there's a reason why he went to the casino and won all that money. I think there's a reason why he called Sizemore a liar, basically, and I think it's going to be leading up to something. What, where it goes, I do not know. But that first part with the casino leads us into that great scene with, uh, in my opinion, with Nepper and Belushi. Their introduction as uh, I think. Oh the man! Mid- you know what? I've never seen Robert Nepper in anything before until this. You know and, what? Uh, I saw him. He was fucking awesome. He was fantastic. He was really great. And then the three Candy, Mandy, and Sandy, or the three girls oh, in the background oh, and the yeah. way Lynch cut to that was so Lynchian and amazing and just just really just pure Lynch just felt fantastic yeah I've, I've never seen Nepper I, I, I know that he's played like the heavy in a lot of like recent shows and or movies or whatever but the first time I saw him this is dating me was in 1988 in the film DOA which was a remake of an Eminem Dennis O'Brien Quaid? film with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan he played um uh, a student um, who wrote this this great novel, and he's he's you know spoiler alert he's killed off within the first fifteen minutes or whatever. But I always rem- I mean I didn't know his name was Robert Nepper, and I don't really remember seeing him in anything so else. He was but- the student that was killed off in the first fifteen minutes. Of the yeah, movie. right. Oh, wow. Yeah, but he he made an impression on me like seeing that movie when I was like you know what fifteen years old or something like that. Um, he, he had a very small role, but very impressionable and. To see him in this scene with Belushi, and I believe they, they play brothers because they're listed in the credits as uh, the Mitchum, not the Mitchum brothers, but their their last name is Mitchum. And uh, that whole scene, the menace of, of Nepper, and he seems to be like, you know, the muscle, the bicep. And and Belushi has that moment where he actually, at the end, when, when Nepper you know, beats the hell out of uh, the casino manager and, you know, tells him you're fucking fired and, and the security guards are dragging him away... Belushi makes a point to like move over and stop them and kind of lean over and he's got this great like menacing look on his face and he's like leave town you know never come back and then he's like all right get out of here or whatever he doesn't even say get out of here Belushi uh, you know he's been in a bunch of stuff I mean his greatest movie of course is K9 I'm kidding I've never seen K9 <laughs> but um, uh, he was great and actually I think his first movie Once Upon a Crime he was fantastic oh that's that's right <laughs> Well, we love that. Well, I don't love that movie. He was but actually great in Wild Palms, though. Seriously, that that series from he the was late, good in that. He was. I think he was. I liked the, him in that. I think he was the weakest link of of Wild Palms. I love that series, um, but I, I haven't seen it in thirty years. So maybe you're right. It's been a while. But his first role was in Thief, the great Michael Mann movie. He played um, uh, Jimmy Kahn's. Uh, you know, number one. He's like he was. You know, in business with Jimmy Kahn. He was great, but he's really never been good or great in anything else that that i've seen him in and this includes according to jim the great you know the abc sitcom from like 10 15 years ago but just that little like you know 30 seconds or whatever in that scene i mean sold me like okay heavy 
great, you know, a Mr. Eddie type maybe, but uh, I'm sold. I'm liking where it's going. And then you mentioned the Mandy, Candy, and Sandy. That is how beautiful, I mean, was that? I mean, the composition, obviously, but you never see the three girls in a shot with anyone else. It's like, and I, I couldn't figure out where they were in the room. You know, it's like, and the way that Lynch composed it, it, there was that touch of like, you know, like surrealism, which he does sometimes, where he just adds a little flourish. It reminded me of Blue Velvet a little bit in the, the scene in Dean Stockwell's apartment where you had all those crazy characters or whatever, and it was really disoriented or whatever. But I love that scene. It was a great scene, and I hope, uh, I know we'll see more of them, but I'm curious to see where that plot line goes. It was definitely one of the best of the series. Visually, it was just, uh, it was it was a very unique version of uh, terror and intimidation. And uh, you just also want to kind of know who these girls are as well. Like, they must be pretty tough. Well, one of the girls, <laughs> the middle guys. girl, I don't know if she's Mandy, Candy, or... What if they get or... blood splattered on their dresses? <laughs> or if they might. One of the girls, her name is Amy Shields. I believe she's an Irish... I know, I follow one of them on Twitter now because I saw her, like, it's my, probably finally her. my scene. Yeah, and she, I think she was Candy. Well, she, the interesting thing is that um, when the, before the show uh, obviously aired, they were running promos or whatever, you know, teasers, and most of the footage was from the, you know, the first series or whatever, and, and 90 or whatever, just callbacks or whatever, because Lynch was so controlling he didn't want to release or reveal any scenes from the new show but there was one kind of extended promo where they spoke to a lot of like you know actors like Kyle McLaughlin and and you know Andy and Lucy and and Bobby Briggs and James Hurley. but of several of the new characters uh, uh Krista Bell who's playing Tammy Tammy Preston or whatever who we've already seen well we've seen her what once or twice or a couple of times right we saw her in so this we, episode when she was investigating the fingerprints Right. Okay. So there's that. So we know that she's going to have, and you know, of course, like Lynch has also said that she has the stuff. So we know, and plus in real life, you know, she's his muse or whatever. But Amy Shields was one of the uh, people in that uh, little promo that they spoke to. So I don't think they would have just, you know, uh, sat her down and and was it one of the other ones, the one one nine actress? No, this is different. That was that uh, that photo shoot for um, the W W magazine. I think that's what it's called W. And it was the Lynch like femme fatales, and it was Patty Arquette and Laura Dern and Naomi Watts and Krista Bell and the woman who plays. I think her name is Haley. I don't know her last name, Stafford maybe or something. I don't know. But she this is the 119 woman. She was um, in uh, in that. That was a photo shoot. And they did a little six-minute um, reel where they talked to them and uh, whatnot. But no, this was different. So my, uh, I'll wrap this up. But my, my thinking is that Amy Shields is going to have, I wouldn't say a predominant role, but I think she's going to have you know more to do than just you know standing off and making like little interesting hand wave gestures you know while you know Nepper's beating the shit out of that guy. You think she'll have some lines? I kind of yeah, like oh, them yeah. not ever speaking. I kind of like them just not speaking. I agree, but I don't. I think there's more to it. I just I don't know. Obviously, we you know we, you know we don't know anything. But that that's my gut is that um, that we're going to see more of her. Now, is it going to be her as that you know in that you know she's a showgirl or something with you know, the other girls? I don't know. But um, I I mean Belushi and Nepper. I mean you know they you know they're obviously heavies. And uh, we don't know what they're up to right now, but I don't think this is like a one-off. I don't think this was just like a little like vignette. I think this is going to— You don't to... think at some point like episode 12 we're going to leave Vegas for good and then go to Twin Peaks and we are going to go back? Or do you think they're going to play a role in like the, the, throughout the entirety of the series? Like a plot I think they'll last? play a role um, like, you know, uh, I wouldn't say throughout the series, but, you know, up to a point. I always feel that they're going to be involved with, like, the, the culmination, like, maybe the Dougie chapter and, and the story. I agree, yeah. And then I that'll agree. be it for them. Yeah, but I don't think that um, we, and we had uh, this, this is a whole other thing or whatever, is that we, someone wants to kill Dougie, obviously, because those hitmen are in, the, you're cruising through Rancho Rosa, you know, look at, they, they put a, a bomb you know, on his car or whatever. And then in this episode, we're introduced to the worrier, the, the woman who they call, who, you know, is worried that, you know, he's not, Dougie's not dead yet. And then she makes a mysterious, like sends a mysterious like text message on her Blackberry to we what we now know is Buenos Aires and, and the mysterious black box, which we think is tied to Philip Jeffries. So, um, or it may I, be Philip Jeffries itself. It may be the uh, that is correct. Yeah, the floating orb right. head of David Bowie inside, perhaps. Yeah, but I don't think Belushi and Nepper are involved in that hit 
per se, um, because they, they they specifically there was that shot in their one scene where they're looking at all that footage of Mr. Jackpots hitting jackpot after jackpot, and they Belushi tells the new casino manager, if you ever see this guy again, you know you tell us or whatever. Um, I just think that he's on their radar now, and you know he he, he you know stole but won four hundred twenty five thousand dollars. But I, I think that that the hit on Dougie is being orchestrated. Uh, with with another like plot thread with other characters or whatever. Do you agree with that or? Uh, I don't know. I always thought that like the guy Duncan, uh, the guy from Mulholland Drive, worked worked for the Mitchum brothers, worked for Nepper and. Oh. Um, but you know, I've rewatched that episode recently, and like he said, you know, I hope you never have to like work for a man or him. He's referring to him. I thought it was maybe them when I first saw it, and so right. you know. It does maybe it does leave the possibility open that it, it is evil Coop, who's trying to still have Dougie killed for after he popped out alive or Coop killed after he popped out alive through the Dougie portal. Right. That he There's. Set up himself. I agree. So yeah, it's very interesting that he said him and not like not them. The them, implication right. is it's just one one guy, whether it's Mr. C or Jeffries or someone else that we haven't been introduced to or whatever. So when he hired that guy in episode two or whatever it was, uh, that woman that the, he was giving the money for to hire was the warrior woman who then got her hitman to, to try to put a hit on Dougie. Yes. No, I, I think that's it. Because doesn't he say, doesn't Duncan say, um, tell her she has the job? And he gives, yeah. you know, th- and he gives like you know that that guy some money or whatever. And the implication is, is that well, not the implication, but we know that someone has been hired to, to knock off Dougie, and then we're so introduced- were both of these hitmen like there's the the hitmen that appear to work for her because they're in the first scene of the show of this episode, right. and then there's right. other, the other hitmen that get blown up in the black car. Like, are they both working for her, or is that like a different faction coming around? No, I think that the uh, the first two are. Um, um, uh, the hitmen from, from the warrior that she they've been contracted by her. Yeah, um, with a striped car. They Dougie. have a striped like muscle car. They have a striped car. It is. Yeah. And then the second car, I think, like the first time I saw it, there's that great shot where we see that first car, you know, slowly pass by and then disappear, and then the camera slowly pans back over, and we see that new black muscle yeah, car. Yeah, scary as fuck muscle car with that crazy ass music. I thought it was going to be like a major character pulling yeah, up. Yeah, I don't think those guys are hitmen. I think those were just car thieves and they had recognized that that car had been at that house for a day or two and they figured, okay, you know, we've, we've done the surveillance. All we're right. going to go yeah, ahead and... That's plausible. And, and, well, the, what I, that's, was like a Mercury or something? It was not a high-end car. <laughs> you mean <laughs> Dougie's car? Or, yeah, Dougie um, Love. Well, that was a pretty reasonable car. It, it was a Ford Escort. I, no, I don't know. I'm right. horrible with cars, but... Yeah, it wasn't um, a high price. It's, it's not, no. I mean, well, didn't... Uh, well, no, I mean... Um, they chopped yeah, down the parts that get like, you know, 500 bucks. That's it. They yeah, chop it up for parts. Yeah. Exactly. So... That's what I think, and I, that's another thing with that Rancho Rosa scene is that after, because you know, that kid, you know, the one one nine lady. Yeah, that whole scene very felt very Breaking Bad to me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Did you not yeah. feel that way? Yeah. Um, Instead of the pizza on the roof, it was like the hood of the car or whatever it is. Everything's blowing up. Like the kid. There's always kids involved in explosions and horrific activities in Breaking Bad, or at least. Some I guess maybe there. yeah, you could say that. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Maybe just the desert landscape as well. Yeah, that's true. But there is something with Rancho Rosa, I think, which is not yeah, I what mean, it seems. Is it red rose or pink? What does it translate? I think Rancho Rosa translates to pink, pink rose, uh, pink rose, right? Or Rancho Rancho? No, a ro- uh pink pink ranch. This rancho or pink house, pink or something. I'm, I'm horrible with Spanish word, but I know Rosa is pink because red is the pink um, ranch, pink house, yeah, the pink house pink or whatever, ranch. yeah. So, uh, but it's interesting that we've got when, blue, we've got red, we've got pink. There's a lot. Of, he's mixing a lot of color schemes that throwing some multiple things at us. Red room, blue rose. Well, yeah, you know, Lynch has Lynch has ranch. this whole thing with colors. Yeah, there's a very interesting side note about the series. Like, and I think this was in more of the first season. Maybe it was the second season, you know, because Lynch wasn't directing all the episodes. There was a stable of other directors. Um, There was one specific instance where a director wanted to use like a blue prop or whatever, and it somehow got back to Lynch or whatever. And Lynch was like, you know, running down the hallways or whatever, making phone calls like Gordon Cole and and Sunset Boulevard or whatever, and uh, um, said, no blue. He was very specific. He didn't want blue to be used unless it was 
like you know very specific you know or very you know specific yeah no blue in the original peaks well there is but i think that he want when whenever blue did appear i think it like he wanted to kind of like control like you know what it was and and what the meaning was or at least the meaning for him or whatever so i think like with colors like we're getting like you were saying all these different colors we're also getting red balloons like everywhere right i mean well in this episode we saw lots of red balloons or the ones that were attached to the in the square where he saw the statue you saw right. several kind of red balloon type fixtures on the end of the building tops um where else have you seen red there's balloons? a red balloon behind the 119 lady um at her when she's at her one. table and there's a red is balloon it blown up or is it deflated it's blown up. It's, yeah, it's, you think you would think it would be, be deflated? deflated right? what, kind of, what kind of air is it? Some black lodge air in that balloon? Because I think that balloon <laughs> would have deflated by now. No, but uh, can't you see Lynch actually like probably like blowing it up tank. himself? Now he he's probably a nitrous oxide he tanker. He he's got tanks. iron lungs to be able to smoke as many cigarettes he smoked in his lifetime or whatever. But um, but there's also balloons for Sunny Jim's birthday that Dougie missed um, in episode. Three maybe when isn't that when Dougie returns home or was that uh, four? That was four, I think. That was four. That was four. Yeah. So there's balloons. It's not just one balloon, but I'm I'm seeing like a motif, like a pattern with that, and as to what it means, I, I do not know. But there's something with that drugged out mother. I think is how she the one one nine lady is how she's listed in the credits. Dougie's um, head kind of turned into a balloon with a little gold orb in it, like a little blue blown up piece of you know in the Black Lodge in episode three. When God, that was there. that was, was so. I mean that scene. And was, then the guy's head floated in episode two in the jail. Who was the creepy killer Bill looking character? I've got a theory on that. That's a floated up. In this that's a, then we've seen Garland Briggs's head floating like a balloon in the astral plane in episode right. three. Right. Then we have a headless. Yeah, we've seen a lot maybe of maybe the headless women and the headless bodies are somehow connected to the balloons, which are metaphors for the floating heads that are. There's a lot of detached heads going on. There are a lot. Of, we've got obviously the librarian too, and then well, like you said, Garland Briggs missing the body on top of her, which we think is is Major Briggs. But well, do you want to talk about that because it ties into the Dougie thing? Is the scene that we got in this episode um, in South Dakota in Buckhorn? was an autopsy scene where yeah one of the first scenes if not the first scene i love jane adams's performance she's uh her her doing her little comedy shtick really worked for me i thought that was a great scene it did baffle me obviously we were thinking we're going to get some more clues that would affirm that it was major briggs instead he turns the tables on us doesn't give what we're going to expect they out pulls a wedding band i believe a golden band which you see many golden rings in, in twin peaks and they look inside in the inscription. What is the inscription, Tom? It says, um, to Dougie with love, Janie E., I believe. So it uh, ties back to Dougie, which yeah. ties Las Vegas to Dougie or to South Dakota, which is correct. You know, that's interesting. It's but very, what did you think about that? That was a shocking development to me, or it was at least uh, very surprising to see that Dougie's wedding band. How did, because it also made me go, is that somehow Dougie's body? You know, Doug, is that Dougie's right. the real body pieces of him that's finally fell from the Black Lodge blender after he got devolved, uh, devoured and turned into a, you know, I don't know what he ended up to. It's a little golden orb. Is that Dougie's body? What do you well, think? Or Major um, Briggs's body? I think it's Major Briggs's body because they um, they ran those prints and it, it showed up as like a military um, or prints on file for the military and it was blocked. And then we got in this episode the scene at the Pentagon with uh, Winston Zeddemore. Um, and there's been apparently 16 other um, uh, moments in the past 25 years where Briggs's prints have come up and they've all been wild goose chases. And so now he is sending off, um, I can't remember, Cindy, I think her name is, she's headed off to Buckhorn to check this out. So I think it is uh, Major Briggs's body, but that opens up a whole other mystery as yeah, to... Then- yeah, how like, Dougie's wedding band got into Major Briggs. Well, stuff. with that, to, to, uh, not belabor, but because um, she did leave the scene with you, I would check the wife first because you would obviously think the wife had killed him, correct. stuffed down the wedding, made him swallow the wedding ring before cutting his head off. But the interesting thing with that wedding ring is, is that okay? That is the Occam's razor solution to this, but it's obviously not going to be the right one because Lynch veers. He does. Sense. He we never can expect what he's going to do or whatever. But that ring. 
It's very interesting about that is that's a wedding ring. It fits on the left ring finger or whatever. But when we're introduced to Dougie, he isn't wearing a wedding ring on his left ring finger. He's wearing the Owl Cave ring. Oh, was he wearing a wedding ring at all on the other finger, on the other hand somehow? I mean, I don't know. I'd have to go that's back and see. But I don't think so. Yeah, that's what it. the fuck does that mean? That's interesting. No, that, that's I, really that's, I think that's there's a correlation there, um, obviously. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, with Tammy Preston. It's going to have a frame up as well. So we could have framed him. Right? All you got to do frames. is the band, buy the wedding band, have it, have it inscribed. It's not even his. You mean frame Dougie? Right. Well, yeah, they could frame Dougie, but um, whoever, um, I mean, someone wants him dead. I mean, it'd be one thing that, okay, so we're going to frame him to keep him quiet or whatever. That's like law and order. But um, someone wants him dead. Well, we think Mr. Coop, uh, Bad Coop is doing this, right? Like Bad Coop could have been the one at Ruth Davenport's house. Bad Coop could have killed her just like he killed uh, Phyllis, uh, Bill's uh, wife. Right. You know, he could have been in all, he could have done, you know, pulled the strings on this entire affair. I think he did, right? It's kind of a, they're making us believe that. You know, seeing Cooper in episode two, I believe, when he was at Phyllis's house and Bill's house when she came home and shot him. Right. You know, so I think that's what they're wanting us to think, at least. Yeah, like I would like to be very interesting to, like, if we could somehow, like, even imagine what that crime scene, like, Okay, in Ruth Davenport's apartment, like obviously you have two bodies. You've got well, you've got a head of of Ruth Davenport, and then you have the the body with her eye shot out. With her eye shot out, just like Phyllis Hastings, which Mr. C we Episode know he two. killed her. Um, but the only thing we really know about that apartment is that um, Bill Hastings, the great Matthew Lillard, um, his fingerprints were all over, and he admits to being there, but only in a dream. Which, um, to me, again, is a callback to Lost Highway, where Bill Pullman, in, in the first act of that film, is telling his wife, Patty Arquette, um, about a dream he had. Um, and, and we actually see the dream. And it, it's, not, it's not very interesting visually. I mean, it is interesting visually. But basically, he's walking through his house, and he comes into the, the, the bedroom, the boudoir, and he sees his wife in bed, but he says it wasn't her. And then the camera just goes right up into her and she starts screaming. Well, not to get into Lost Highway, I think that was the murder scene that happened later. And that's what I think in this scene. I think that um, whether it was Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard possessed by, you know, a a host, a parasite or whatever, um, or, you know, not even being there at all, there is some kind of dream logic um, with that murder scene. Um, that I think we're going to get into at some point. Um, and it'll obviously, I think, tie into uh, Major Briggs and Dougie somehow. What those pieces are, I do not know. But um, I do have some theories on that, but they're, they're, they're kind of out there or whatever. Um, um, it, it's something that um, I wanted to bring up about. Do tell. Man. This is the conspiracy podcast, friend. <laughs> well, this goes into a whole different thing. I could go like, are you guys ready to hold on? I'm just, I think, okay, just to say... Uh, to, to put it out there, this is something that I just came up with, and I'm sure there's someone on this planet that came up with this or whatever, but I've been really trying not to read anyone else's theories saying on Facebook or these forums that I used to frequent a lot. But I think it's possible that that um, that being, I'll call him Sooty, the soot monster, the soot spirit that is in the cell, you know, not next to Bill Hastings, but I think two cells over. That Mr. We Bloonhead. Mr. Right. Okay. Should we, can we call him something? Do you want to call him that for you know, simplicity's sake? Do we want to name him? Mr. Balloonhead, yes. We'll, Mr. We'll Balloonhead. Call okay. him Mr. Balloonhead. Yeah. Okay, so Mr. Balloonhead. I think possibly um, that that might be Mike, um, the host of Philip Gerard, who we have never, ever, ever seen before. Um Wait, wait, wait. If we've never seen him before, then who the fuck was selling shoes to Harry Truman? That's Philip Gerard. That is the Leland. That is the host body. Okay? So we know Bob. We know what Bob looks like. But we always thought Mike was the little man, that that was the host. That was the real. You know what I'm saying? Mike was one and the same. He was inside Philip Gerard. That's what I was led to believe uh, during the original uh, seasons. One and the same was the giant and senior drool cup. 
Um, <laughs> just to just to clear that up a little bit. <laughs> wow, a little um, off on that one. But a little bit off but, on that one, but, uh, buddy. So, no, um, so wait, wait, so you're saying that I'm, I'm making up the entire Mike and Mike connection, or Philip Gerard and Mike connection? Because you're no. calling Philip Gerard Mike in the lodge now. So I, I am. Little yeah. Mike was related to the Philip Gerard one our man who you were calling Mike. I thought they were somehow related in some. Yeah, way. you know that's that's my you know bad. It's also like talking about the Black Lodge and calling it the Red Room or the Waiting Room. Like we don't really know. It's is it all of them? Is it one of them? I mean, it's it's open interpretation. But I should just. You know, it'd be a lot him. easier if at least we just name some characters more than the twelve names that he uses, like Bill and Bob and Chet, and like, <laughs> like, like over and over and over again. We would be have no problem. If he, if I agree. There's already been three bills. I think in this yeah. um, show, Chet, I mean, Chets. how many Chets have we had? We had any Chets in this one? We had a lot of Chets, a lot of Bobs, Bills, Mikes. Yeah, it's like uh, usually there's there's Pete or you know some kind of uh, you know Lynch has these names that he uses over and over again. Betty, I think you know uh, Betty Mahon Drive, Betty Briggs, and there's just names that he reuses. But getting back to the point here is that um, the little man, as we know him, the the man from another place. That's how he was listed in the credits of uh, the original series or whatever. And it's it's kind of like reinforced or actually revealed in Fire Walk With Me that he is the arm. Now, we know that Philip Gerard, the uh, host of um, Mike, the spirit, who I, I don't think we've ever seen, um, had a tattoo on the left arm that said Fire Walk With Me. Well, he, he says when he gives that great, when he speaks that great poem, like Through the Darkness of Future Past, I won't go through it, but that when him and Bob were killing together, there was this like perfect appetite or whatever. But what he did was he cut off the arm and he saw the face of God and then, you know, all was revealed or whatever. But that arm, he cut off the arm, which... I was always led to believe that he kind of became good somehow after he cut off the arm and saw the face of God, right? Did well, there good is... Or was he still bad? Well, I mean, in back the to, series... Yeah, like, what, what, it goes back to me as also not being sure whether the one-armed man is good or bad or even the Mike, little Mike was good or bad. Well, no, I mean, you I'm think sure. that, okay, the one-armed man, I think, you know, as Philip Gerard, I think he's good. He's just, he's like a Leland. He's like, you know, a babe in the woods. He's like, he's he, he doesn't know or whatever. He's a shoe salesman or whatever. And he thought his tattoo said mom or whatever. But Mike has uh, is the spirit inside of him. And in the series, um, he, he, you know, he wanted to stop Bob. I mean, he helped Cooper, like, find Bob. He was like a helpful spirit. But in the movie, they kind of like turned it you know a little bit even though there's that great scene at the crosswalk where he's got the ring and he goes like it's him it's your father or whatever he also like you know allows laura to be not allows but he didn't try to stop bob from killing laura at the train car he's outside and he actually throws the ring well, in. that's right he was yeah. at the scene of the crime at the, when yes. laura died right i forgot right. about that so i i don't know exactly i think it's we don't have enough like you know information as to whether or not what his was true he wearing gloves are. when he threw laura's uh, ring into the uh, train car because why were his prints not found uh andy's incompetence wouldn't it be like glove and not gloves well, whatever. Oh, <laughs> zing! No, I, I've got a problem with that. Just like your problem with, like you know, the AB, the blood type. Like you know, why not? Oh, yeah. Test why not? everyone. Yeah, they, and... they, they said that the killer had the most rare blood type of like AB negative. Why didn't they just test the entire town for AB negative blood? That didn't make right. sense to me. But then you know what? Actually, I was watching some of the original series recently, and I think there was one scene where Coop was talking about how Jacques had AB negative blood. Right? Really? Well, yeah, I, thought I go, scene... what? But if Jacques had AB negative blood too, then I could see how maybe. But they never tested the, the townsfolk. They never right. tested their blood types. Well, I think Albert says that they tested Laura, Renette, Jacques, and Leo, and it didn't match the blood that they found at the crime scene. With, you know, had the right. fire walk with me or whatever. So I don't, the, yeah, I don't... Maybe this is Albert's job failure. Maybe Albert should be fired because he was the friends of <laughs> That's true, right? Put this into his, yeah. But getting back to the, the mic, basically, um, I, I, we have, I, I don't think he's the little man. I just think he's the, the, the representation of the arm and whoever that spirit. So then who's the little man? The little man is the arm. He is the arm of of Philip Gerard. that part of he, because he's just an arm, but is he, is, he, is he like an inhabitant inhabiting the arm? No, you know I don't I mean? think like, he's inhabiting them. I think it's was like... Was Little Mike like a shell, like a host? Or was he? were we seeing the pure form and that was really the demon underneath? Because I always thought he was the pure form because we saw him in the convenience store. We see him in the, in the red room. Like he seems like that was a pure 
you know, we were seeing not the host, but the demon or the. Well, the thing the, with the Mike is, I think it's even cloudier. Or Mike, um, the little man of what his intentions are. I think sometimes he see, he comes off as like being helpful or whatever. And I think at other times he comes off and like he's like a little like you know imp, a little demon or whatever. And he's got a doppelganger right. um, a, as well. So I think it's like if if. If. They need like name tags in the Black Lodge. <laughs> we need to know who's the doppelganger, who's the real demon, right, right. who's like a lost soul trying to get out, pretending to be a doppelganger. You know what the fuck? Like, I right. get, it's, especially when they look the same, right? So it's yeah. And this is we're talking about you know all these events from the original. There's gonna be an episode like, 15 scene where there's like seven Bobs, like eight Coopers, like nine like one arm mans, like a couple Mikes, like three like all in the lodge doing some bizarro like scene where we can't tell the difference between anybody, like a Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich type situation. I would love that, and I would also love and we kind of talked about this uh before or whatever if, if somehow gordon cole wound up in the black lodge yes i would love to see he'd be like what the hell like but the coffee would be probably endless and probably very delicious so. it would be and i don't think yeah. he would have his earphones i think because you know when cooper went in at the end of episode or the beginning of episode 29 he was wearing like a like his trench coat and had like a flashlight and he went through the curtains and then he was just in his black suit. So it's like, I don't think there's like a coat check girl before you get to the waiting room. I think there's just some weird transference or whatever. So I think if Gordon Cole went into the black lodge, he would like hear everything like normally, obviously it would be probably you know, spoken backwards, but it, I bet he would like, you know, not have his, you know, his, uh, he wouldn't hearing be hearing aids, no say. appliances right. and te- technology brought into the black lodge. Right. Thing. Okay. So no photographs ra- as well to wrap up, this this thought that I've I've gone off on so many different tangents or whatever is that, and and everything that you're saying is valid and it, it, it almost would require its own you know episode or our own podcast to talk just about this one little like you know moment or whatever or theory is that I, I believe think it's a compelling theory the mic that, that's Mike that's fucking awesome like, I that, don't think we've seen Mike before I don't think I don't think he's no. a little man I don't think and it would it would make sense to me if you know Lynch and Frost were you know um, conceiving this and you know Frank Silva has passed away unfortunately and they've done a great job of actually you know revealing Bob we haven't even talked about that yet but um, they go like okay let's bring Mike back in the fold because here's where where it makes sense to me is that um, okay, A, we haven't seen Mike before, so but we know he is a spirit. We know that he is Bob's familiar. We know that he was killing you know, with Bob again, but he had some kind of change of heart or whatever. But the big thing with that um, uh, whole, whole thing is, is that um, I just completely lost my train of thought too. After all of that, I just lost my big, big – oh, here it is. I got it. I got it. I'm sorry. I got it. The line that Mr. C – or the, the conversation between Mr. C and Jeffries when Jeffries says – you're going back in tomorrow, and I will be with Bob again. Like that line right there. Who do we know of anything, of anyone in this whole series, movie, every, anything, that could be with Bob again? It would be Mike. Mike was – they were killing together. Oh, yeah. They used to be – so it, that's So you very, think that was maybe Mike on the, on the horn instead of Philip Jeffries? I mean, he's the one that took over because I still feel like, even though you poo pooed my Albert theory that that was Albert (laughs) taking over the phone in episode two when he was talking to Philip Jeffries after he murdered, uh, God, what's her name? I can't remember her name anymore. Daria. Um, I think it's Albert. You think, but do you think that's somehow like maybe that that Philip Jeffries was taken over uh, in the middle of the conversation by Mike because the voice does change. I feel like the voice changes, so that's an interesting possibility. Is that what you're saying? No, I, I agree that the voice does change. I don't think it sounds like Albert or whatever, but my, my thinking is, is that uh, you're on the record. Okay. But um, my thinking is, is that um, he thinks he's talking to Jeffries, but what do we know about Jeffries? We know that he was a former FBI agent. Obviously he, um, he, he, you know, got, what if Mike inhabits Philip Jeffries? That's what I'm, that's, that's what I'm getting at is that what if Mike got into Philip Jeffries, okay? And at either oh, like recently dude. or in the past or whatever, and That's Mike good. is now wanting to be back with Bob again. But probably Bob in 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 his pure form and not like with a host parasite because I think that if Mike wanted to be with Bob, well, Bob is in Mr. C right now. Well, let's just, uh, you know, meet in Buckhorn or whatever, have some Garmin Bozia and hit the road and start killing again. No, I think it's much more complicated than that. I think it's a strong possibility we saw Mike in that cell. I think that, that he might have something to do with the Garland Briggs, um, Ruth Davenport murder or whatever. 
or he is inhabiting Philip Jeffries somehow. And uh, and where that goes, I do not know. But that is my theory. That's a top-notch, grade-A Project Blue Book conspiracy theory, friend. Good job. I like Thank that you. one. If that comes true, I think that would be a fantastic uh, development. Um, but, okay, so now we've got uh, you know some more time left in our, our hour, and we have not even gotten to Twin Peaks yet. So I think we need to veer over to uh, the new cast of characters that we were introduced to, namely being one being a Laura uh, clone, Becky Briggs, or Becky Barnett, is that her name now? Because she's married to I Steven. think she's listed in the credits as Becky Becky Burnett. Becky Barnett is the... Burnett. Uh, was it Becky Barnett in Boogie Nights? She was the uh, Chocolate Love. Yeah. She was one of the... Uh, yeah, the I think Becky that's Becky Barnett. Barnett. That's probably Be- where I got that. So I think Becky Burnett. So we Becky Burnett. So we got to her for the first time. Um, and we got, you know, we got to be introduced to her boyfriend, who actually is her husband, when he gets, you know, balled out by Mike... A.K.A. Snake, who was Bobby's sidekick in the original series, who was a complete jackass, wearing his red you know, jacket around town and just pissing people <laughs> off. Now he's a uh, established uh, car dealership general manager who just dresses the fuck down uh, the new buck in town, uh, who is Steven, who trounces, uh, trapes into the interview with a tie on sideways thinking <laughs> he got the job immediately. And he's just completely shocked. <laughs> To realize that, that uh, he told me to get the hell out, that I would never hire you. Right. And then calls him an asshole thing. after he leaves the yeah, office, right? Yeah. I totally agree. I was great to see Snake again. And I, that was, it was great. Two gingers, you know, and I yeah, call- Caleb Landry Jones, who was in Get Out, he's a complete freak. I like that he's in this series and expect some bizarre things to come from him uh, in future episodes. Right, yeah, uh, I agree. I like uh, I liked his introduction, and then the uh, although other I still scenes. can't understand what the fuck he's saying half the time. I've tried to replay a few scenes. I, we'll have to talk about exactly what you think was said right before he stabs it and steers, and she Becky goes into a reverie. Uh, I could not understand his his punchline that made her laugh so hard. Did well, you I, I I no, I I had the same problem, and when I'm watching it. Um, I, I for some reason I can't get my uh, my, my closed caption or subtitles to appear. I or can't whatever. either. I think so, that, but like, I, somehow Lynch is, is forbade it. Right, I you're probably right. He doesn't like chapter stops with his DVDs. But I think I finally figured it out because when we're when we are first introduced to um, Becky as at the double R, she she she's bringing some bread, and because uh, Toad, not the Toad that we know, they've actually. Renamed or recast or changed. There's two identity. toads now. Yeah, we got two toads. We got how two many toads. how many toads do you know in the world? How many toads have you ever met? <laughs> I met zero. Wasn't Toad in American Graffiti as Charles Martin Smith? Uh, oh, you. <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah. I guess that's one. Yeah, continue. I'm going way back, way back. Um, no, but okay. So uh, Norma says Toad. Like I, th- I thought she said Brit is here. I, I still don't understand what the, that that. Yeah, Brit or something like that. I, it sounded like Brit. Like, and then I thought it was Becky? like bread. Bread is here, but it's not bread. Anyway, Becky uh, Becky looks like uh, she's wearing an apron or whatever, and that maybe she works at a bakery and she's bringing some bread. Of course, there's the scene with Shelly. We you know we know that she's her daughter. She gives her money. They go back to the car. They do drugs or whatever. And then you know uh, Stephen says how he's going to take her to dinner and you know how Did beautiful they she looks. They say they were doing cocaine. Or was it some other? No, I, I don't. You know what? I, I I've never. Well, I've never done cocaine. I don't know. I, I don't think that that would be. But I don't. I've seen enough movies, and I've had friends um, who have done cocaine. Not you, of course. Well, it looked I've like never, cocaine, yeah, but, but like uh, when they talked to Bobby, uh, was talking about what was it like? Some cosmetic drugs from Russia or Chinese? What the fuck were they calling it? Like I think they it said, was oh, it's Chinese designer drugs. <laughs> Chinese designer drugs. <laughs> the generic. Whatever it's right. on the bottle says Chinese designer drugs, but I don't think that would uh, cocaine would qualify. As yeah, that I don't think it's. I was cocaine. wondering if they were taking it's... the Chinese designer drugs or they were taking the cocaine. I couldn't figure it out. They're probably that, or it's it's. Um... Well, no, I think I think it's yeah, it's it's probably the that's what they're setting up because that scene with Truman because that kid they said that some kid died, a little I don't know something I don't know what the kid's name little he Skippy died. Winston, <laughs> little Skippy Winston he died. just dropped dead he just <laughs> fell over in his chair in his class right no he never got up I think oh, he that never was got up yeah. he never got up but um okay so he he's telling Becky in the car like all these things or whatever and how like majestic her, her tits are and everything like that and then he says he's going to take her out to, out to dinner I think and said and give her some bread um, and she goes why and I loved her reaction she, she just like you know like why and he goes because you've been needing it all day 
like kneading it, K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. Kneading it. And I think that's what it is. I think that's right. However, the however they expected Mark Frost or Lynch, whoever wrote that line, expected Caleb Landry Jones to be able to enunciate enough for the audience <laughs> to catch that one, that that verbal pun. Right. Uh, that was that was uh, that was uh, not not going to happen. Not going to happen with that actor. But no, it was but great. I'm glad that you. I'm glad you figured that out. You know, I never would have known that. That's an extra extra it little. It took layer. a while. He's yeah. actually quite clever. He's more clever. I, I thought it was hilarious when he says like, "Hey, but if I need the cocaine, like I got some really good feedback." <laughs> and the good feedback is you're a complete <laughs> fucking idiot. So I thought that he right. had really he's got some self confidence still. He's got a, that's good. He stayed confident. He's not. He's not. He's going to continue to be resilient in his job hunt. I'm sure he's not right. a complete loser. It's going to bring her down and turn her into potentially. I mean, they're they're making her setting her up to be the next Laura Palmer. You know, you've thought that there was going to be a murder somehow in the town at some point that was going to bring right. things together. You know, what if she's the one that gets murdered? Would that be something pleasing to you, or would you feel like that that's a retread? And Lynch doesn't like to repeat himself, so maybe he's just doing the old bait and switch here, making us want to think that she's going to be uh, a Laura Palmer victim when she maybe will be, in fact, a strong character. She is showing, even though she did cocaine and is dating a loser. She seems like she's got some some backside to her, like she's some spunk and some smarts. I think she might be able to pull out of this. I don't think she's doomed to die. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think they're going to do the whole Laura Palmer thing with her. Obviously, you know, it's 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 easy to go ahead and and kind of like lump that into to Laura Palmer because she's doing drugs and she's dating a guy like a goon, and she looks a, a loser lot like or whatever, her. and she looks a lot like her. Yeah, there's all these kind of callbacks to Laura, but um, I, I just don't think. I mean. Could she wind up dead? Of course, yeah. Um, but um, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't think it's going to have like a happy ending per se. But um, I don't think she's going to be wrapped in plastic and wash up on the shore. And we're going to see this beautiful like blue faced corpse of, of, of Becky Burnett or whatever. Um, well, but you know what? What would her arc be? You know, other than like utter Laura Palmerness. Like, is she? Well, I mean, yeah, I, to, you're right. To, you know, you know, you're right. I mean, kind of setting herself up to play that role. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, so, I, like I said, I could see it going where something tragic ha- happens to her um, in some way. Um, she could wind up dead, but I don't think it's going to be in line of, of what we, you know, we know of like Laura Palmer's like, you know, uh, you know, story, the mystery of like, you know, how, you know, her. She's not going to start working at Jack's or anything like that. Oh, Jax, man. I don't think I would love to see Jax in this iteration. But I want to know. I have a question. Is Lenny Von Dolan uh, on the cast list by chance? He's not, unfortunately. Oh, no, Harold Smith. Okay, I just wonder. No, Harold Smith. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's probably for the best, isn't it? <sighs> it is. Um, it, it, you this point with Becky though is interesting because uh, you, you bring up a very you know good point, and, and I could see how it it could unfold that way, um, because I mean Amanda Seyfried is um, she's a I'm not saying like a huge name, but she's. She's pretty, you know, well-known actress. Um, I don't see anything, and, and I know who she is or whatever. You would think that she's going to have, like you said, some kind of interesting arc. She's not going to just continue to be married to this loser and, and do drugs and, and need bread all day or whatever. Um, so, um, but I, I don't know. I just don't, I really don't know with Twin Peaks proper that how it's going to evolve outside of maybe, you know, not maybe, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that Cooper and or Mr. C are going to wind back in town, wind up back in town. I don't know where, like, some kind of mystery that's uh, separate from that is going to, you know, unfold. I mean, the only thing we really have is, is what we've mentioned is the drug scene in Twin Peaks. I mean, we've got that set up at the sheriff's station, and then we've also got the, the Hawk investigation into, you know, from the log lady finding out, you know, or, you know, trying to find what's missing or whatever. Those are really the only two plot threads that we have in Twin Peaks so far in what you know, five episodes, right? Yeah. So are they are they going to just drop a dead body, you know, in part six, seven, eight, nine, or whatever, and then that's going to kind of carry us through and run on this parallel plot track with you know Cooper and, and Mr. C? Well, I think there's going to be some sort of Deus Ex Machina happening here in the next few episodes. It's going to rock the world of the Twin Peaks citizens um, in some way, or I think right, it's going to be the return of Mr. Mr. C. Uh, you know, something is going to happen, or maybe the, the the Garland Briggs reveal is going to get Bobby on the case, and you know, reveal you know a lot more about you know that which could tie into Sarah Palmer. You know, I think I would like to see you know obviously Briggs and Sarah Palmer, and you know Bobby, and you know some of these stories really start to have some meat on the bone because uh, right now they're all just setups. But I really did like that we were finally felt like we were in Twin Peaks this week, and 
still that scene with her, you know, in the Coke, when she, she, they do the close up in the, I don't know what song that is, but that's a, that's a, such a great iconic Lynch scene and moment in Twin Peaks that, uh, I think it was the best moment in the show other than the ending. Yeah, no, it's I, it was a great scene. I mean, there's been a handful of like really classic scenes. I mean, like really that that whole purple room um, scene, which is, you know, like 10, it's 15 dazzling. minutes long yeah, it was, was really dazzling. dazzling. And uh, I, I mean, I really loved the, the Mr. C interrogation scene and the Albert and Cole scene. Yeah, that was dazzling. That. There's a few, but the, the shot, you know, of, of Becky, the, the way that I, what I really loved about it is that the like the very first moments of that shot like she's out of frame, like briefly, and the camera like adjusts to yeah, it slides you know, put in. her. That's great. And it's just like that's just so. You would think like you know most. It was like directors, a car taking off. It was movement and yeah. motion. Yeah, felt like or, you know really felt like she was. It was, it was a very stylistic directorial um, flourish there. Yeah, but yeah, if I if, if I was a director and I was directing that scene, I, I would have saw that and I would go cut, cut, cut. No, it, it moved. Let's just get her because I'm not a genius. I'm an idiot. See, I know? thought and, that, and I thought he did. He obviously, I thought he did all of that completely on purpose. It was staged to move. That's oh no, that's oh no 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 no. I agree. I think it was staged to move. Is what I'm saying is that um, um, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, to, to do. What am I it felt kind of like myself, a visual. But, it felt like a visual. Uh, like version of like sliding into the bucket seat of a 1979 trans, white Trans Am. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sliding into that bucket seat and then hitting the gas and being high on cocaine and just looking up into the T-Birds or the, the T-Tops and everything is right in the world. That feeling in high school, you know, even though she's not in high school, she's got to be like 28, right? Like how they're old. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I, I think she's at least like 24, 25, because if she's Shelly's daughter, Shelly didn't have. Yeah, twenty five. Well, we, right she me. could have been pregnant during the show. We didn't know that. But um, the one thing about that scene, that shot, that um, um, that I thought of, like when I was watching, I was I was really just living in that moment and enjoying it, and wow, such brilliance and loving it, listening to the music. But um, her expressions, her facial expressions, like reminded me so much of Cheryl Lee, Laura Palmer at the end of yeah. Fire Walk with Me, when she sees her angel. And, you know, she's kind of like, you know, crying, but laughing and smiling. And, and I know this is a drug-induced euphoria or whatever, but it just, it really did. It reminded me of, of Laura Palmer that way. And that goes back into, you know, you thinking maybe that, that she's going to maybe end up like a Laura Palmer or whatever. But there, there are a lot of similarities. I just, I really loved uh, that, that, that shot though. That whole scene was great. Um, yeah, I love the interior of the Trans Am. It was very red roomy. Uh, it just really felt spot on as a fantastic moment, even though yeah, that's too that's very Canada good point. I didn't even think yeah. about that. the The seats are red and yeah, it's and so the stripes close in the back, and they're velvety kind of stripes right behind her head. And even that's... in the back, you can see the back seats that have stripes. It looks like curtains hanging. Uh, that's very. I didn't even pick up on that. That's a great point. That really is. Hey, do you want to talk about um, uh, just a, a few moments at least? Uh, Mr. C's two great scenes in this oh, episode. Oh gosh! How have we so, gone this long? Well, because they're the best in a way. I think I can't believe I forgot about this. Like our first introduction to seeing Bob—that he was in <sighs> fact inside Mr. C the entire time. We always thought it, but we got to see that stunning flashback with that crazy music, um, and just shock us into the the, the the image of of the doppelganger Bob laughing maniacally next to uh, or doppelganger Coop laughing maniacally next to Bob in the red room. And then there we look, we cut back to the mirror and you see a slow morph of uh, bad Coop's face turn into Bob. And then he gives like a, a line from like a comic book or something. You're still with me. That's good. And, uh, <laughs> and it was great. It was great to see him like that. He could control, he, he could control the time. He knew when the guy was coming to serve food. He, in the end of this episode, uh, you know, goes into I don't know why did he go in to meet with the warden at the end what was the purpose of that meeting in the first place he oh yeah he got to have a call he got his phone call yeah I don't think he he went to meet the warden he got his private phone call that that Gordon instructed him to give at the end of part four right yeah so So, yeah part four so obviously he knew uh that it was going to be monitored and I think that's why he was mocking it you know saying you know he brings up a, a Mr. Strawberry character almost like reading the mind of the warden and right. threatening him, uh, you know, turning the tables on a situation where he's vulnerable and he knows that he could, you know, be, uh, you know, committing some sort of, you know, admission of guilt if he's being recorded for this call. So he, he throws up a smoke screen and uh, 
turns into some robo hacker, phone hacker, and just starts typing <laughs> in all these numbers like a madman and sets off an alarm system that short circuits the, you know, the, the, the electronic systems in, the, in the, the prison, which freaks everybody out, which I think gives him time then to call Philip Jeffries or someone and say the cow jumps over the moon, which is some sort of code for something. Um, well, yeah. Which but the, causes... Dude, the best moment of this scene, though, and I think we, I've mentioned this to you before, and I've just seen it again recently, is when you see the quadrant split screen of, 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 of Cooper on the phone and uh, everyone's freaking out around him when the alarms are going off. You can just see that shot, like it's Cooper's in the one of the bottom quadrants and he's looking up, like impishly, just like Bob. He's got a total, it's not the, the, the transmorphed Bob face we saw in the beginning of the episode, but it, it looks very Bobbish. And I thought that was a great callback there and great acting by Cooper to, to make me at least think that that was a Bob impersonation there in that final shot. Yeah, he's all, he's very like stoic. But who did calm, he call, but, right? Because they cut right to uh, Buenos Aires. What, what, what's the deal with that, do you think? Well, that's the second time we saw that that same setup, that light bulb in that kind of dank room, and there's the black box in a yeah, wooden bowl. The, we saw that from the warrior, the, the woman who had hired the hitman. She called that black box and received a message, and then nothing happened. Um, and then when Mr. C, you know, called the black box, it uh, it it just it turned into we don't know what it was. It looks like a little piece of metal or a stone or some something silver gold i think argent see that warrior um woman typed in argent too um, now argent could be for argentina but i think argent means silver in in spanish if i'm not mistaken so and that piece turned into something that looked metallic and or silver now what that means who the hell knows That's but um yeah, so so yeah, so he but the line is important even though it's nonsensical. The cow jumped over the moon. Um I took that uh as meaning that um like the plan didn't work. Obviously, Mr. C had the the master plan of of probably we we don't know this 100% um that he manufactured Dougie, but it certainly looks that way um to use as a decoy basically to go into the lodge so when Cooper the, you know, came back into, into the world. Um, you know, he could be like assassinated or, or killed or whatever. Um, so, so Mr. C could remain, you know, in this earthly realm. But obviously, that didn't work out. And I think he knows that. And that's the message to Jeffries, the black box, or whatever that is. The cow jumped over the moon. Cooper, like you know, he he escaped or he Cooper's he eluded, the cow. Yeah, Cooper's the cow. He like eluded, you know, the a capture or he's still around or whatever. And it's like. We need to we need to you know, do something about this. Still, that's you know what I took from from just that line. Yeah, I so. think that's that's a good correct a, a good interpretation of that. Um, so you know, one thing we've forgotten before we go, we forgot yeah. all about Jacoby man, the Jacoby oh, the explanation of the fucking golden shovels that we've been wondering about. Uh, what did you think about our, our old man coming back? A little spunk to him. Well, this, uh, this, I mean, this whole, I mean, this, uh, can we wrap this up in like 90 seconds? I don't know, because really the first proper scene that we had, you know, in, in episode one, outside of, you know, the credits and, and the giant speaking with Cooper, was the delivery of the shovels to Dr. Jacoby. And uh, it's shot from a distance. It's, you know, it's like you're wondering, like, what does this mean? This is our introduction into the story. And this is the first real proper scene. It's got to have some great, like, relevance. And then we get, I can't remember if it's episode two or episode three. I want to say it's three. I think they skip over it. I could be wrong about that. But we actually see Jacoby spray painting the, the shovel's gold, you know, for like five minutes, like literally watching, like, paint dry. You know, two Jacoby, coats. Two coats, right? And, and now in episode five, we get the big reveal. He is like turned into some kind of like, you know, like some podcaster, you know, video blogger, like nut job on the top of like uh, whatever mountain. I can't remember the name of the mountain um, top that the white tail or whatever. And he's preaching to, you know, the local citizens or if he might even be go- going global. But we're, we saw Nadine and, and Jerry watching him and seem, seeming to, to, to really love or like what he's saying or agreeing with it. Um, he's a member of the resistance, in my Pure frost. I mean, I think this like frost going like there's. I don't think Lynch has that in his like you know his his, his toolbox. To yeah, really Lynch be... is pretty apolitical. This was a very Frostian uh, you know scene for sure. See, he right. was you know I follow Frost on Twitter. He's you know railing against Trump and the whole 
you know, he's very progressive. And so it did feel like this was a frost owned scene. And I love the infomercial, the golden shovel himself out of shit. <laughs> right. That was fantastic. Right. It was, a, it right. was absolutely hilarious. And, uh, one of my favorite parts is when he's freaking out and he has to stop and take a little drink of like the purest boysenberries mixed with glacial, you know, water. Like I like that moment for somehow. It like, was huckleberry, know, wasn't it? Like yeah, pure huckleberry, extract huckleberry. huckleberry. Yeah. yeah and, huckleberry uh, and I think extract. Jerry, that's when they cut to Jerry and he's in yeah, the woods. Yeah. We get to see smoking, Jerry in the woods. Smoke and he's up, like yeah. just kind of nodding Something. in agreement, watching on his little like, uh, you know, tablet, iPad, what have you. I thought it was great. I thought it was, it was totally unexpected. But here's the thing with that. Even though, Do you think like, the gold was a Trump uh, reference or illusion at all? Gold um, shovel? Gold I don't, shovel? When this was like written and shot, I think this was like before the Trump rise or whatever. So I I would say no, but um, who the hell knows? I mean, you know, I, I don't I, I, I don't think so. I think colors um, and like metals and like, you know, and like certain like, you know, metals conduct like electricity or all metals or whatever. I'm not a scientist. I'm not, I was never good at science, but I think all of these things are like built into, (laughs) are built into um, the narrative somehow. And I think that there was a reason why it was uh, gold shovels or whatever. And I also have a, uh, a sneaking suspicion that we're not done with it. I don't think that's it. I I think we're going to see the gold shovels again. I don't think it's going to mean anything like really grandiose, but I think, think like we'll see it again i mean can't you see like nadine or jerry like buying one of the the shit shove the gold shovels the shovel the shit like say there's a new groundbreaking ceremony at jerry's new like marijuana dispensary and uh, he's like you know he gets one of jacoby's shovels instead of cutting the ribbon you know he's did you know what they do at uh ceremonials right when they uh break ground yeah that's what gold shovels are for for breaking ground ceremonial type situation so i mean i'm not saying that it'll be used for that or whatever. But I think we're going to see it again, but as a whole or as a well, self-contained I'm not sure scene. I need that. I'm not sure I need to see that again. <laughs> well, we, yeah. got, we got the bigger fish to fry. We got a lot of things going on here. We got, uh, we don't know if we have time for to go into Jacoby. That sounds like a season three, episode two storyline for the new series. Is it that you're I'm hoping right, that I don't right. see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, it's, oh, we're, we need no. to wrap up. Do you have any uh, final words for this week? You know, I mean, this episode, I mean, was, um, I mean, I don't even know if we got through everything with this. I mean, there really were, I think this was the first episode where I think it was faster paced. Um, we, we were certainly in Twin Peaks. It was jam packed for sure. Yeah. And uh, I, there was just a lot going on and it really kind of felt like it was finding its its footing. That's um, to uh, say anything against the first four episodes because I loved them uh, as well. This just felt different. This felt like self-contained, but yet it, it was kind of like leading somewhere, you know, and, and finding its footing. So um, I was very excited. So I think that there was a lot of uh, interesting parts of this um, episode, and I'm eager to find out what happens next. Uh, I am too. I think uh, what my only final thought is that everyone can look for Dean Hurley, who is uh, David Lynch's musical sound maestro, who they work on lots of albums, is playing the, the, the drummer on the, on the scene there at the end of the roadhouse. if you want to see what he looks like in real life. Um, all right, That's guys, true. see you next week, and thanks for tuning in. Bye. I love how your eyes close whenever you kiss me.